The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and thank you for listening with us. I'm very glad that you've joined us today. We've got another great program that I know you are going to benefit from and be inspired and get some practical ideas from. So again, thanks for listening, and uh, thank you also for posting on our Spirit of Recovery Facebook page. Thank you very much for letting your presence be known. Uh, thank you for emailing me and letting me know what's happening for you in your spirituality and recovery walk. And also thank you for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community and your Unity community know about us here on Spirit of Recovery on UnityOnlineRadio.org. It's great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery and spirituality right here and uh, to know that what we're doing here is making a difference for you, that it's inspiring you, touching your life and uh, supporting you in your recovery process. Every week, we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative, people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people or people um, that are on the spiritual path. And my guest today uh, is one of those people that... Uh, while he is not involved in recovery uh, personally or directly professionally, he is a spiritual teacher, and, you'll, uh, and he has a lot of great uh, experiences in his own overcomings in other areas other than addiction, and uh, he uses his spiritual principles. He'll be sharing that with us today, so you're going to get a lot out of it because um, whatever it is that we're facing, whatever our challenges are, really in lots of ways that recovery process is the same process in those spiritual principles are what supports our growth in all areas. So, we'll be bringing you again today, as we always do, practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen live via your computer, via your smart device. You can go to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. You can um, uh, listen via iTunes. And if you have an Alexa-enabled device, you can listen that way. You can ask it to play Unity Online Radio and uh You'll find a Spirit of Recovery there. Also, you can listen um, on demand. We've got lots of great archived podcasts. So you can go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery. Listen at your leisure and you will find an amazing array of inspiring guests and interesting topics that are tailored to support you in your spiritual growth and recovery. I want you to know that the Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place so that if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're the family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, or if you're just curious about the process of uh, addiction and recovery, I'm very glad that you're here. You're welcome. We're glad to have your comments and questions on the topic of the day, and uh, very glad you're here. And I always want to make sure that family members and friends know that uh, there is recovery as a family member and friend, and there are 12-step programs or all kinds of uh, uh supports for families and friends. So families and friends have also their own recovery process and engaging in it really is transformative. So 
I also want you to know that if you enjoy what's happening here on Spirit of Recovery and any of the other great programs on UnityOnlineRadio.org, and if you would like to support uh, this nonprofit radio station financially, you can do that. You can text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone, and you can make a one-time or a recurring financial gift. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity minister and also an addictions counselor, and I'm a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction, and uh, over 35 years ago, those relationships were a catalyst that got me started on my personal path of recovery and as a family member and friend and on my personal spiritual growth path, and so I integrate unity principles and recovery principles. They go together really well, and it just keeps enriching my life, and I am uh, delighted uh, for that and so grateful, so grateful because it sure opened amazing doors for me and allowed me to have a rich and fulfilling life. So I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share these ideas about spirituality and recovery with you and to hear what you're experiencing in your walk. Our topic today is limiting beliefs. You don't need them. You know, recovery opens the door for us to grow into who we truly are. We're no longer held back by uh, the disease of uh, addiction or the family disease of addiction. And we have the opportunity in recovery to express our innate talents and potential. And if we're going to realize that potential, we're going to have to do some work. And that means that we get to call, we're called to face up to and release old limiting beliefs about ourselves. My guest today is Greg Franklin, and he knows a lot about this. Again, as I said, he is not personally or professionally directly involved in addiction and recovery, and yet he is definitely a spiritual teacher and lives and teaches spiritual principles, and he'll be sharing with us about his overcomings and the ways that he's let go of limited beliefs and and continues. It's a lifelong process. But my guest, Greg Franklin, is a leader in business. He's a spiritual teacher, and um, he has, by incorporating spiritual principles into his daily life, he has had business success that surpassed his expectations. Greg is a graduate of Morehouse College, and he's a two-time class president there. Currently, he is enrolled in ministerial studies at the Hillside International Truth Center, which is under under the leadership of Bishop Dr. Barbara Lewis King. And it is a premier new thought, um, very similar to Unity. We share these spiritual principles. Um, It's a premier uh, church and ministerial uh, institution. So we're just delighted to know that Greg is, is enrolled there and pursuing that. Greg also studied at Unity, and he, uh, in the past, served on the board of Unity Palo Alto Community Church. With the volatile race relationships in our country, Greg, as an African-American man, has as his mission showing up as the face of love, bringing spirituality to people of all colors, gender identifications, and sexual orientations. And you can learn more about Greg. You can uh, go to his Facebook page, visit Greg Franklin Speaks, and he has there an inspirational blog and uh, posts uh, great information that can really support you. So, Greg, welcome to uh, Spirit of Recovery. Thank you very much. Thank you for that uh, very kind introduction. You're welcome, and uh, just so glad that you're here. And and um, glad as, to be as here. Good, good deal. You know, it's it's great. You've got a lot of uh, inspiring ideas there on your Facebook page, and uh, and one of them is that you wrote a a brief uh, inspirational piece on this idea of limiting beliefs and letting go of them. So. Tell us a little bit about that. How? What are some of the ways that you got interested in letting go of limiting beliefs? Why does that matter to you, Greg? Well, um, you know, we um, well in your introduction, you talked about um, I'm not formally uh, involved in a you know twelve step program um, like um, you know alcoholism or drugism. But I think racism is one of the isms that, um, you know, needs to be overcome. Uh, It's uh, in the forefront today, and it really holds a lot of people back uh, from their true potential. 
And um, I can definitely share that because I was one of those individuals who felt that I would never accomplish my life's dreams because of my color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, um, you grew up in the heartland. You grew up in Wichita, Kansas. Yes. And yes. so, wow, who knows, huh? And Wichita's a great place. I like Wichita. I've lived in Kansas, not in Wichita, but it's a great place, not putting it down. But I'm guessing that there were probably some attitudes and barriers there that were not facilitative for an African-American person. Yes, yes. I uh, did grow up in Wichita. Um and uh, it was actually a great place to grow up. Um, uh, I was uh, bused across town um, in the midst of segregation. Uh, I had gone to an all African American or all black elementary school, and um, you know I stayed in my neighborhood. But then in junior high, I was bused across town, and it was a great opportunity for me to be a minority. Um, I'd say the school was about 1,500, and there were probably about 200 African-Americans. So it gave me a great opportunity to interact with, you know, my Caucasian peers, my Hispanic peers, uh, my Asian peers, and uh, learn more about their culture. Um, But the real beauty of this for me is growing up in a loving household. Uh, My mom was a special ed teacher, and uh, she always spoke uh, of love. And um, since she was a teacher, she was always pushing um, our, you know, our family, it was seven of us, to be the best that we could be. And uh, my dad uh, had a career with Boeing, and um, Boeing has a military facility in Wichita. And uh, when Boeing would lay off in the summertime, he would be around the house for three, four months without work. And that was such a difficult period for us because, you know, he'd wake up at six o'clock in the morning and we're out of school and, you know, get up, cut the grass. You know, uh, I cut it yesterday. We'll cut it again. Uh, And he was very active at the church. Um, And I was kind of his, I don't know, I guess I could say his, his kid of choice. We used to go to church on Saturdays and uh, uh, cut the church grounds and, uh, you know, I was cutting the grass and he had the trimmer and, uh, you know, he'd always put out fresh flowers and make the church look very appealing on Sunday mornings. And I learned a lot from him on that when, you know, uh, the church gave, you know, me the check for cutting the grass. He would always tell me to put that in the offering plate. And I go, wait a minute. I did the work. He said, son, you can never give enough back to God. And if you learn this lesson early, you'll always be blessed. So, you know, the, 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 um, um, I would say the foundation was there for me, but, mm-hmm. you know, I still had some limiting beliefs because my father ended up getting a job at the post office and he was a very smart, educated man. And I could tell when he'd come home from work and he had one of his bad days, he'd sit at the kitchen table uh, for dinner and he would not talk. And my mother would politely try to to get him to talk about his day. And I'd hear things like, you know, oh, I applied for the managerial job and I was overlooked again. Uh, Black man can't make it in this world. So, you know, you start getting those tapes that are handed down to you from your parents. And while my mother was always saying, sky's the limit, you can do what you want to do. I'd hear my father say these kinds of things, and I'd see him sometimes running on anger. Um, I was kind of torn in there. There was, you know, 50% of me believed that I could be the best I could be, but the other side was, oh, well, you know, um, look at corporate America. How many black CEOs do you see? Um, Look at the president of, of, of the United States. There's never been a black one until Barack Obama. So that's what I grew up with. and. You know, it, um, you know, I remember I was at the mall with my mom and we ran into our, you know, some friends from the church and we stopped and uh, my mom said to uh, uh, our friends, oh, Johnny sure has grown. Oh my God, what a handsome young man. What do you want to be when you grow up? He said, I want to be an attorney. 
And she said, oh, great. And uh, she said, I'm sure you'll be, you know, make a good one. So his mom looked at me and said, Greg, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, president of the United States. And they both just cracked up. I mean, laughed out loud. And the mom said, Barbara, you haven't told Greg yet that he's black. That's something that he will never achieve. And my mother looked at her without hesitation and said, Greg will make a wonderful president. Hmm. And while I, you know, sometimes say to myself, Barack got my job, <laughs> uh, I did end up getting an internship with Senator Bob Dole from Kansas. And it was just great being on the Hill uh, to have that experience. Uh, but again, still having those inclinations of being limited and I could only go but so far. Um, but after that political experience, I fell back on my finance degree, ended up in Chicago, um, was doing commercial lending. Uh, I remember I prepared uh, a loan for uh, a construction company, and I did all the work. My manager reviewed it. Uh, we were going to sit down with the customer. And uh, the customer sat on the other side of the you know, table, and uh, my manager introduced me, and he said, I did the work on your own. Greg, why don't you share you know, your findings? So I started uh, you know, talking about their assets and liabilities, and uh, there was no eye communication. Uh, they weren't buying what I was selling. So mm-hmm. my boss asked me to step outside. And he said, Greg, I hate to do this, and I apologize. Would you mind giving me your notes? And I said, why? He said, he's not buying it from you, man. I'm terribly sorry. He's just not going to buy it from you. So uh, that was a hard pill for me to swallow. Uh, I went back to the office, and he called me in. He said, man, this is, you know, Greg, I, I wish I could wave a magic wand and make all of this racism go away. Because you're a good kid, you're a good guy, but there's just some people in the world that are not, you know, ready for uh, African Americans in certain positions. So uh, I decided that banking wasn't for me, and uh, one of my customers was uh, then American Hospital Supply, which is now Baxter. And um, uh, long story short, I ended up uh, um, going uh, to American. Um, and got into medical sales. And through a series of events, I ended up uh, moving with them uh, to the West Coast, and um, I landed in San Francisco as a district manager. And uh, growing up in the Midwest, San Francisco was just, uh, it was eye-opening for me. Uh, It was a city that everybody got along. I mean, I saw gay couples walking down the street kissing each other. Uh, I saw men holding hands. I saw women holding hands, uh, interracial couples. And I had never witnessed anything like that before, but people got along so well. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I was on a sales call, and I was in Berkeley, and the ICU manager said, um, Greg, I really want to see you, but we've just admitted a new patient. Can you give me about a half hour to 45 minutes? She said, walk, walk down Berkeley Boulevard. There's plenty of eclectic shops and bookstores. So I did. And um, I was drawn into this bookstore uh, by the, um, the incense. And there was a little guru guy, you know, he had on his robe. And um, when I walked in, he said, how can I help you? I said, I'm looking for some books on sales. And he said, we don't have any books in here on sales. I said, okay. He said, what are you trying to create? <laughs> I said, uh, more, <laughs> more sales. And he said, with more sales, you'll get what? I said, more money. And with more money, you'll get what? I said, better vacations with my family. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm looking mm-hmm. at him like, why is he asking me all these kind of questions? So he Mm -hmm. said, I have the perfect book for you. And it was wall-to-wall books, wall-to-wall books. And he Mm -hmm. walked over and put his finger on this book and pulled it out. And the name of that book was The Dynamic Laws of Prosperity by (laughs) Catherine Ponder. Uh (laughs) And that set my start 
into the unity movement. I read that book front to back at least three times. And um, it um, had such a dramatic effect on my life that I went to Palm Desert to meet Catherine Ponder. Because ah. at the end, of, she talked about, you know, she lived in the desert and, you know, mm-hmm. she was a member of the Unity Church in Palm Desert. So mm-hmm. Easter weekend, uh, I asked the family, my wife and two kids, two sons, I said, how would you guys like to go to Palm Springs for the weekend? They were like, yeah. But I didn't tell them I had an ulterior motive. <laughs> so I said, well, take, take some church clothes for Sunday. And we hung out by the pool on Saturday. And Sunday, I said, let's go to church. And they were like, well, okay. So I went to the Unity Church. Very nice service. It was my first time ever being a part of a Unity service. And after the service was over, uh, the minister came over and said, um, hi, you new in town? Obviously. I said, yes, we were in from San Francisco. Uh, I came and I was hoping to meet Catherine Ponder. And she laughed and she said, you know, she comes on occasion. Uh, but you'd know if she was here, she's got this big yellow Rolls Royce. <laughs> and oh. I went, oh, my God. <laughs> so, so, so she's really into prosperity. She said, oh, my God, she really is. Um, so I told her uh, about my, um, you know, my adventure, uh, reading the book, and I was on a new discovery. And she said, what do you live? And I said, well, I'm on the peninsula. I live in San Francisco. And she said, well, you know, there is an excellent unity church in Palo Alto. I don't know how far that is away. And I said, oh, geez, about 15, 20 minutes. Wow. So she said, unity Palo Alto, and his name is Reverend Stan Hampson. Mm-hmm. So when I drove back to um, uh, to San Francisco Sunday night, Monday morning, I drove to the church. I wanted to see it. And I told my wife, I said, we're going to go there on Sunday morning. And when we arrived that Sunday morning, we sat in the back of the church. And the church was, you know, predominantly white. I think there were maybe two African-American couples. And we came back the second Sunday, and we sat in the middle. And the third Sunday we came back, I was sitting on the third row. And Mm -hmm. I was just so close to Stan, I could almost reach out to him. And the previous Sundays, I'd always leave. I just, I don't know. I didn't have the courage to go up and stand in line to actually shake his hand and didn't think he probably would want to shake my hand. But uh, that particular Sunday, he gave such an outstanding message that, um, you know, I said, I'm going to get in line and meet him. And when I shook hands with him, he looked at me and he said, you get it. He said, I've been Mm -hmm. doing this for 20 years and I can tell. You sit on my every word. He said, mm-hmm. you're a minister. I said, no, mm-hmm. I'm a salesperson. You got me confused <laughs> with somebody else. He said, no, you are. You just don't know it yet. And mm-hmm. we became the best of friends. And I started off as uh, director of finance. Then I went to vice president. And then I became president of the board. And we went to some very challenging times. And Stan just threw me the ball. And he said, Greg, go for it. And Um, I took a class called the 4T Prosperity Program by Stratton Smith. And (laughs) you give of your time, talent, and treasure. And you tell God what it is you want. Um, And I had written out that I want to be a sales manager. I've been a great sales rep my entire life, but I've never been able to break the glass ceiling and get into management. And pretty much every company that I had been with, I was probably one of two African-Americans in medical sales. So um, I began to work. I was showing up. Uh, You know, I was doing classes. You know, I was at the board meetings. You know, I was doing all the necessary work. And uh, I got a call out of the blue from a headhunter. And he said, sudden cardiac arrest is the number one cause of death in this country. We've created this defibrillator that can be used by the lay public. I'd like to sit down and chat with you. And we did. I saw the device, small, Mm -hmm. definitely used. Uh, I decided to go for it. And um, he said, do you have any 
um, you know, do you have any fears or apprehensions or anything? Or do you have any goals that you want to share with me? I said, yeah, Keith, I want to become a manager with this company. If I'm going to come in on the ground floor, I'd like to have an opportunity to grow with the organization. And he said, okay, okay, you just might get that opportunity. So the first eight months were the most difficult eight months of my life, uh, trying to introduce a product um, to the public, the first medical device to be used in public. Uh, what do you do when a, someone in your office falls from cardiac arrest, what we call 911? I have this device. No, my people are not going to use that device. Sorry. So anyway, long story short, we uh, had gotten a lead uh, with American Airlines. Uh, the three sales reps we flew in said, put on your sincere blue suit. Let's make this presentation. And uh, American agreed to become the first airline to uh, incorporate AEDs on their planes. And um, that gave us a big influx of cash. We were on the front page of USA Today like a week later. And um, we were growing. So Key uh, said, okay, it's time to start building the organization. So he went to the east first and um, selected the Eastern Region Manager. said, okay. Then he went to the Midwest and hired the Midwest Regional Manager. And then lastly, he came to me. And I'm thinking, okay, uh, why was I last? Uh, I was the first hired, and now I'm the last one being interviewed. All of these thoughts are, you know, kind of going in, in my mind. And I'm quickly going back to those old tapes, but I had done the work, but I said, I'm not going to go there. So um, Keith ended up interviewing some other candidates, which really irritated me. Um, and um, he had hired a guy and he had not sold anything. He'd only been with the company for a month. And Keith called me and said he had made his decision and he was going to go with the other candidate. And I was totally blown away. I'm, I'm saying this guy never sold anything. He's only been here a month. I've been here, um, you know, a year and three months. So I called Stan and he said, Hey Greg, you know, I, I don't know what to say. So I spoke to his wife and she said, Greg, stay in the question. I don't think God is through with you yet on this one. Stay in the question. So I flew to San Diego the next day. Uh, we had a regional meeting. We were going to, um, you know, uh, Keith was going to introduce the new manager. And when I landed in San Diego at the airport, one of my peers from uh, New Mexico, uh, she was there and uh, she was waiting for her bags. And here we go. The, uh, the chatter. I can't even believe you even applied for that job. Why do you do stuff like that? I was with you at the last company. You tried management. Get it over it. It's not going to happen for you. Is there anybody in the company that looks like you? And I'm thinking to myself, God, please, I don't want to hear this all the way to the hotel. So the belt stopped, got my bags. Hers weren't there. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll see you at the hotel. <laughs> and I took mm -hmm. off. And... <laughs> Uh, when I got to the hotel, there was another rep, and he just literally broke out laughing. As a matter of fact, I had recommended him to the job. We had been friends for like the last 12 years, and we had worked together on a previous job. And uh, he said, Greg, you, you, don't have the, uh, you don't have the protocol they're looking for. Uh, your dad works at the post office. Uh, you're not management material. I don't know why you even keep going down that road. But, you know, I said, you know what? I am going to stay in the question. I am not going to let this disturb my peace. So I got into the uh, room. Keith introduced uh, uh, the new manager to the group, and it was kind of awkward. Um, and I could tell he was a little uncomfortable. So to open the meeting, he said, I'm going to ask uh, the group for best practices. If you have anything to share about your successes in the field, please share it with the rest of the team. Nobody raised their hand. So I raised mine, and I started talking to him about what I was doing and how I'd you know, gone through the ups and the downs in, in the territory and 
talked about uh, the great sales that I did have. And on our break, when I went to the men's room, uh, my friend from L.A. came in right next to me and said, you are no right next to me. And he said, man, I don't get you, dude. I don't get who just took your job and you volunteering information. How stupid can you be? And, you know, that was very hurtful. It was very hurtful. But I was determined that I was not going to go back to that state of mind. And when we went to lunch, everybody ran to get a seat. Mike was seat next to him. The, the, the new manager was the only one open, sat next to him and chatted with him. Uh, he told me about his kids. He had two boys. I had two boys. We had things in common. And, you know, I said, he's really not a bad guy at all. He's, you know, nice guy. Just hadn't sold anything, but he's a nice guy. So um, one of my uh, peers walked by and she said, Greg, I don't know what you're on or what you're doing, but everybody's watching your reaction. Keep it up, man. Uh, You're making me proud. So that was a big push to get me through the afternoon. And um, at the end of the day, we went to the dinner. Uh, and we're sitting out, nice, beautiful oceanfront restaurant, looking out over the ocean. And again, everybody's running to the table, and I get the last seat, and it's next to the VP who gave the job to the other guy. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I took my seat, and I immediately went to the men's room, opened the door in the john. Now, keep in mind, everybody sitting on the john ain't taking care of business. That way, I was in there and I was talking to God. I said, okay, look, I did the work. I was president of the board. I'm tithing. I'm giving up my time, talent, and treasure. What happened? I mean, how did this happen to me? I'm I'm, I'm really confused. And then I just kind of sat in the silence and uh, opened my heart and opened my hands and said this or something better. And um, I said, I'm just going to have to trust spirit. So I came out, and um, the waitress was taking the uh, the drink orders. And uh, when she came back with the drinks, before everyone, uh, you know, took their drink, I said, do you guys mind if I propose a toast? And I said, no. And I said, uh, I, uh, uh, I pray that the defibrillator is in the perfect place at the right time when someone has a heart attack. I pray that God prosper every family at this table. And lastly, I pray that God prosper this company and the mission that we're on in saving lives. And everybody toasted. And my boss, he still had his drink up in the air. And he's looking at me like, what the heck is this? I mean, he must have had it up for, you know, it felt like 30 minutes. It's probably about 10 seconds, but it just felt that way because he, he just held his glass and he just kept looking at me, you know, like, what's up with this kid? So I was so glad for that night to end. I got back to the room. I packed my bags. Um, I took the first flight out and I was out at seven. Uh, my flight was at seven. I left the hotel at five. I just didn't want to see anyone. Uh, I got upgraded to first class. The, uh, the young lady said, you look like you have a bad a tough week. Let me upgrade you. <laughs> so, you know, I flew back to San Francisco and, uh, you know, when the plane was starting to land, uh, I took out a piece of paper and my notebook and I just wrote out my feelings and my letter to God. And I put it in the, uh, the seat back pocket. And I said, whoever cleans this plane is going to get a earful from me. And, you know, I said, I'm going to leave it here on the plane. I'm going to go home and spend the weekend with my family. And when I got home, my wife said, you seem to be okay. And I said, well, this or something better. And I spent Saturday soccer with the boys and Sunday we went to church. And then Monday morning I got up to go to work and I'm driving down 101. And I said, you know what? This is a great territory. San Francisco is just a terrific place to be. I'm blessed to be here in this territory. So I'm not going to complain. And then my cell phone rang. And I looked down at my phone, and it was the VP. So I answered, and I said, oh, Keith. He said, "Uh, Greg, are you driving? I said, yes. He said, well, do you mind pulling over? I said, okay. He said, I have the president on the line. 
And the president said, Greg, uh, I wanted to be at the meeting, uh, but, you know, I was out uh, trying to raise money. I had a meeting with the venture capital group, and I just could not make the meeting. He said, but when Keith told me how you responded when the news was not in your favor, I said to Keith, this is the guy that I want running my organization. We had a conference over the weekend, and we've decided that we'd like to offer you the job of Western Region Sales Manager. Will you accept the position? I was lost for words. I mean, I freaked out. <laughs> so by me staying in my truth, not going to the gutter, not going to racism, I didn't get it because I was black. I didn't get it because my father was not a manager. I didn't get it because African-Americans don't belong in the corporate world. I stayed with my truth and God came through for me. And mm -hmm. ever since then, it's been a magical journey for me. As long as I stay focused on the principles, God does the work. That's beautiful. That's a powerful story. We're going to take our break. It's time for our break. And we're going okay. to come back and um, reflect on that some more. Thank you for doing what you did. Thank you for living your principles. And I know you still live them. And thanks for sharing that yeah. story with us, Greg. It is powerful. Listeners, you. I know you, you're inspired with this. Stay with us. We're going to take a brief break. We'll be right back. And, and I'll keep going in my conversation here with my guest, Greg Franklin, a business and spiritual leader. And uh, you can learn more about him. On, go on Facebook, Greg Franklin Speaks, and you can learn more about him. So stay with us. We'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Someone once said there are two ways to get to the top of an oak tree. Climb the tree or plant an acorn and wait. If we expect changes to happen in our lives, we may want to consider climbing. Plus, changes needn't be monumental. Sometimes it's as easy as an attitude shift. Life is what we bring to it. Do you have a job that seems less than exciting? When you walk through the door, bring joy with you. Life looks better when viewed through a positive attitude. Are you facing a health challenge or surgery? Get rid of your fears by focusing instead on spirit working in and through you. When you remember that with God all things are possible, your outlook cannot help but change. Today, wherever you go, whatever you face, do so with joyous expectations. Release your inner splendor and allow the light and love of God to guide your way. This Mindful Moment is brought to you by Daily Word magazine. Finding time for the positive reminders in Daily Word is easy with the digital edition, perfect for smartphones and readers on the go. Give it a test run with our 30-day free trial offer. Learn more at unityonlineradio.org slash dailyword. for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic today is limiting beliefs. You don't need them. 
Um, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. My guest today is Greg Franklin. Greg is a leader in business and a spiritual teacher, and he's sharing with us how incorporating spiritual principles into his daily life has led him into business success that surpasses expectations. And um, I, I know you just enjoyed the story that he told us if, uh, if, if you were here in the first part of the program. Greg is a graduate of Morehouse College, and he's a two-time class president, and currently he's enrolled in ministerial studies at Hillside International Truth Center, uh, which is a wonderful news thought center in Atlanta under the leadership of Bishop Dr. Barbara Lewis King. And uh, Greg also studied at Unity School, and he has served on the board of trustees at Palo Alto Community Church. And with the volatile race relationships in our country, Greg, as an African-American man, has as his mission to show up as the face of love and bring spirituality to people of all colors, gender identifications, sexual orientations. And uh, we're just glad to have him here today. And uh, you can le- learn more about him on his Facebook page, Greg Franklin Speaks. And before I get back to my conversation with Greg, I'd like to invite you to join me in the Serenity Minute. Just a moment to take a break, to uh, open up to the presence and power of your higher power, to relax and share with me a constructive idea. So I invite you to relax, to be aware of your breath as it comes in and goes out, to allow relaxation all the way through your body temple, and share with me this constructive idea. Old beliefs cannot hold me back. I let go and let God guide me to fulfill my life. Old beliefs cannot hold me back. I let go and let God guide me to fulfill my life. And now we take a moment in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I trust that that was an opportunity for you to relax, to let go, to let God and open your mind and your heart to your own experience of your higher power as you understand it. And so now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Greg Franklin, and we're talking about uh, letting go of limiting beliefs and uh, being able to fulfill our lives. So, um, Greg, the the, your experience that you shared with us again in the first part of the program today is it, really p- powerful, and um, it, it points out to me something that's a real um, it's a paradox, which is is a good thing. It things that seem to be opposite but really are in spirit they're together. That that paradox that in the world there are conditions that are limiting. There is racism, there is addiction, there is you know all kinds of. Uh, oppressions, there's ways that people carry prejudice, there's sometimes uh, pe- physical limitations if we have health challenges. There's things that really are there in the world of facts, in the world of experience. Uh, we can't just pretend like they're not there and just say, well, it's all good and, you know, whatever. It's it's about facing those from the place of spirit, and, and that's what you're sharing with us. Um, so tell us about the spiritual principles you you did you talked about tithing you talked about prayer you talked about you know doing the right thing and being gracious and you didn't you know react out of anger when people didn't give you something that truly you did deserve so how do you practice those principles what are they and um how do you apply them in uh, in your life well that's a that's a great question <clears throat> um um, you know, um, Dr. Johnny Coleman um, said something many years ago when I lived in Chicago. Uh, and the first time I heard it, it didn't quite make sense to me. Uh, she said, you are the thinker that thinks the thoughts that makes the things. And I was like, what in the world is that? But as I began to repeat it, and used it in my everyday life, thoughts are things. And what we think becomes things and becomes the reality in our lives. 
And that one had such a great impact on me. If you want great things, think great thoughts. Mirror great thoughts. I did a lot of picturing. I put pictures out of what I wanted. Um, You know, I journaled. Uh, I talked about uh, and talked to myself a lot about what it is that I wanted to accomplish. Uh, I set goals for myself. And um, uh, one that uh, really stuck with me was God is the source of my supply, not man. And I had a tough time with that one as well because I said, wait a minute, you know, man signs my paycheck. But Mm -hmm. that opportunity came to me through God. And working for corporate America is not the only place that you can get a source of supply. There's other avenues. If you allow God to use you, you can get your source from God. And that was a so, big, big leap of faith for me. So talk about that. What do you mean by letting God use you? Because that's different from saying, well, I'm just going to go and get what's mine and I'm, they're going to pay me a lot. What do you mean by letting God use you? Well, um, as I got more into spiritual practice, uh, I took a class called uh, bringing, it was called Unraveling the Mystery of Sales. And I've mm-hmm. kind of re, re, reincorporated it as bringing spirituality into sales. I realized that, you know, while I was a good salesperson, I was very rigid in my approach. Um, you know, I was in my first account, uh, I was in hospital sales. So I was in my first account at 7 a.m. And uh, by 9, I was moving to my next account. And uh, by 11.30, I was pretty much done for the morning, have lunch. 1 o'clock, I'm in my next account. And, you know, I'm done by 3 because, you know, that's the first shift, pretty much done by 3 o'clock. And on days when I was a little behind in my quota, I might stay for the afternoon or evening shift and kind of meet some of those folks. But when I got into spiritual practice and realized that as a salesman, I am a sales is about service. I was in it for the money. But when I began to meditate in the car before I went in on my sales call and I said, okay, spirit, how can you use me or use me as an instrument today? And when I changed and adjusted that, uh, instead of making three to four sales calls a day, sometimes I only made one. Sometimes I only made two. Because I became more in tune with my customers. For an example, I went on a one sales call, and you know I, I had gotten to know the nurse pretty well, and she just seemed to be preoccupied. And I, you know, looking at my watch, you know, before my Unity teaching, I could care less. It's like, I need to move on to the next account. I mean, I've spent enough time in here. But I said, you know, be open to spirit. I said, you seem to be preoccupied. Is there something, you you know, that's kind of bugging you or something? Or something you care to talk about? She said, would you mind closing the door? I said, okay. She said, Greg, uh, we're going through a reorganization. I'm responsible for ICU, CCU, the emergency room. And they just threw the cafeteria in on me. And I know nothing about food. I'm about to have a nervous breakdown. And Mm -hmm. she just began to talk. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I listened. The old me wouldn't have cared. But I listened. I said, well, how can I support you? She said, that's a very nice thought. Just pray for me because, you know, I'm I'm really confused. I don't know which way to go, whether I want to leave this job or or what. But I've been here so long, I, you know, could lose my pension. I said, okay, I'll pray with you on that. So I called the next week, and they said, you know, she's out on medical leave. I said, would you mind sharing her cell phone number? She said, no, I can't do that, but you leave yours, and I'll, you know, when she calls in, I'll give it to her, and if she wants to call you, she will. So she did. And uh, she said she was at home. She had taken some, uh, you know, leave from the job. And, again, I said, how can I support you? And she said, come cut my grass. Your childhood job. 
<laughs> so, yeah, you're right. It was the childhood job. And plus, I was in Sacramento. I lived in San Francisco, so I wasn't doing nothing anyway, you know, besides doing emails. So it was kind of fun. I went to her house, you know, she, you know, I pulled the lawnmower out and I, you know, took care of it and played in the dirt for a little while. And when I came out, um, she said, what do I owe you? I said, nothing, just being a friend. And she got back to the uh, hospital about a month later. And I got a call from the emergency room of that hospital that they wanted to evaluate my, my patient monitor. I went in, made the presentation. She said, okay, give me uh, an order for 25 units. Mm. And I'm looking at her like, an order for 25? This has never happened in my entire career. If somebody wants to buy a product, they bring it in for an evaluation. They generally evaluate it for two weeks to a month. You've got to do all this training with all the nurses to make sure they know how to use it. You've got to make sure the doctors know how to use it. And I'm getting a purchase order on the same day? So I went downstairs, they gave me the, I'm walking down the hall going, I was going to say, what the heck? You just got a quarter of a million dollars out of the blue. And something kept saying to me, ICU, CCU, emergency room, cafeteria. So I walked upstairs, I went to her office, and I had this PO in my hand. And I said, you know anything about this? She said, that's our little secret. Thanks for being a friend. If I had not stepped out of my rigidness and been open to spirit and being of service, that opportunity would have never happened for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like you were thinking about what you could give those. instead of what you could get. That's the yeah. paradox, isn't it? How can I give? Yeah. How can I be a real person? And that opens yeah. those channels. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, tell us another one. We got about we got a, a few more minutes, but tell us another one. Oh, maybe a briefer one. Sure, sure. I had a um, uh, an account. It was actually a military account, and it was huge. And um, uh, we didn't have any products in there. And uh, I decided, you know, uh, this might be an account that you know I might want to spend some time in. So. I got the endoscopy department, and uh, I think I started off with 10 units in there. And typically after we sell a product, we have to do the training. And um, I did the in-service, the training, and half the group caught on right away and the other half didn't. So the manager calls me up. She says, Greg, can you come back and do another round? And I said, sure. I typically do two rounds, and I don't complain. Uh, But then she called me the third time. And typically with, 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 with sales guys, we're in it to make money. Now, I've trained your people twice. Um, you know, if they didn't get it the first and the second time, it's really on you. I'll, I'll leave an in-service video and watch that at their I'll find some popcorn or something, but I'm not coming back for the third. But I came back for the third, and I was very patient. And um, I designated one young lady to kind of be my trainer. I gave her a Starbucks card. I said, you know, and you see folks that don't seem to know what's going on, you, you, you're welcome to call me, but if you want to jump in and help. And she did a great job, and uh, I got a call from the purchase that there was a med search floor that were looking for monitors. And when I went, went to that department, um, um, you know, I showed my brochure, and she said, that won't be necessary. Give me 25 units. And I looked at her, and I'm like, she said, you got glowing reviews from the endoscopy department. They said, you are terrific. You're very patient. And that's what we're looking for. Oh, when can you deliver the products and when can you start training? And I'm going, oh, you know, slow down, give people service, be tentative, uh, attentive uh, to their needs. Uh, you end up getting um well, let's just say spirit exceeded my wildest expectations. That year was my best year in medical sales. I, I mean, I blew my number. Um, I was rep of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. You know, it's it's so true, and that's true for, for any human being. We want to grow spiritually, and it's so true for people at, in recovery because addiction is such a self-centered disease. And, um, yes. And whether family member or whatever, family members that 
it looks a little different, but it's still the same thing. It's we all worried about survival. So it shifts it when we start thinking about what can I get and instead think what you're saying, how can I be attentive? How can I be of true service to this human being? What does this soul need? And wow, because people feel it that everybody wants to be cared about in a genuine way, not just seen as a mark, you know, or a target. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And once Mm -hmm. I got that uh, down, uh, and was able to practice that in my territory. I developed a real good name for myself and, uh, you know, friend to another friend when they have their nurses meetings and five or six, seven hospitals get together. Oh, you got to call this guy. He's really good. So it, it, it really helped. And I continued to read and continued my discovery. And there was one story that I read that really stuck with me. And this guy had a donut shop and he was very successful. And people would come in for a dozen donuts in the morning before work, and he'd always give them 13 donuts instead of 12. And he said, okay, this is your 13th. Which one would you like? This one's for you. And his (laughs) business grew because he gave an extra donut. And he said by the end of the day, he had probably given away a couple dozen free donuts, but he didn't look at it that way. He looked at how his business had grown how people came in looking for that extra, that 13th donut. That's the one I'm going to keep for myself. So uh, I learned that you can't be God-given. If you give of your time, your talent, and your treasure, and you're sincere with it, it comes back to you in rich and wondrous ways. And as Stretton Smith always says, out of the blue. That's true. Well, Greg, thank you so much for uh, being my guest today, and thank you uh, so much for your spiritual walk, for facing circumstances from the place of spirit and uh, demonstrating God's abundance so beautifully um, in our world and in your life. And so now we just have a couple minutes left, but you're enrolled in ministerial school. So what are your plans? You, You said yes to God in a deeper way, it sounds like. Or in a different way, maybe. Well, at this point, um, I am um, um, a like I like to call myself a traveling evangelist, a guest speaker, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I like to speak across the country and tell my story and uh, uh, that type of thing, and show up as an African American in the face of love and light. And uh, after the ministerial school is over, then we'll have to decide what to do next. Do I take on a church? And if so, where? Mm-hmm. All right. So I know you're 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 being guided, and you are you are sure a blessing, and and uh, your presence is is a great light, and is uh, as you say is uh, shining in this world. We need it big time especially right now, and you're doing the deal. So thank you for being you and for trusting God. Thank you very much. I didn't think we could fill up an hour. <laughs> oh, it's easy. <laughs> so thank you for being my guest. Again, my guest is Greg Franklin. Um, he, uh, You can learn more about him on his Facebook page, Greg Franklin Speaks, and you'll uh, see his inspirational uh, essays and and learn more about him and, and the gifts that he brings. So, again, so, Greg, thanks for being my guest today on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you so much, Anna. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application by walking your talk. 
Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.